0: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
1: Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5. Remember that, the word in Orlando. Uh, we get on the air uh, because of the engineering skills of Pete Paquette and the production skills of Andrew Herdliska. I want to introduce you to Billy Jouse. She's in Naples, Florida. The book, Distraction Detox, Release emotional barriers, restructure priorities, and realize God's best. Billy, uh, welcome to Orlando. How are you?
2: I am great, Pat. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Why did you write the book? What's the background?
2: Oh, here we go. Yeah. I, my first book was called Making Room, Doing Less So Better God Can Do More, and that was about those external distractions. And once I got those under control, wrote the book, I thought, you know, I'm going to be digging into God's word and figuring out my life. I was a new empty nester. And all of a sudden, I realized that I wasn't doing all the things I thought I was going to do once my schedule wasn't as full as it was. And so I started trying to figure out why is that. And that's when I realized that my mind was full of a lot of emotional toxins that kept me from realizing God's best in my life because I didn't truly believe what God said. I knew his word. I could tell other people it was for them, but I was having a hard time struggling with the thoughts that I was having.
1: Your first chapter is an interesting title. It's called Spiritual Jet Lag. Yeah. And that means What?
2: So, spiritual jet lag, you know, a lot. I travel a ton. My husband's in professional baseball. He's in his 36th season of professional baseball as a coach and, and other various jobs. And we travel a lot. And you know, when you travel coast to coast or, or to a different country, when you land, you're like, okay, where am I? What's going on? You have that mind fog. You're a little lethargic. You're tired. That's what I figured out in my spiritual life was happening, that I had this spiritual jet lag that I was foggy-minded. I couldn't focus well. My thoughts would take me to places that God never intended me to go and doubt and unbelief and you know fear and all of those things. So that's what I determined as spiritual jet lag, When we're just in that point in our spiritual life where things just aren't right.
1: Now, uh, let me move to the, the second topic, tethered toxins. Explain that one, Billy.
2: Those are those emotional toxins. That's when I had to go into a time of what is it that's creating a spiritual jet lag? Why am I so lost in, in a sense? Not lost from Jesus. He was always there. But why wasn't I connecting deeper with him? And so those tethered toxins, I had to go into those what I call emotional toxins. I had to think about what I was thinking about and really determine what those thoughts were that w- were keeping me from, from growing in my faith.
1: The next topic, <clears throat> reality and truth. Uh, explain that, Billy.
2: Yeah, well, what I wanted to do in going through this book is I'm a processed person. I like to go from one step to another in growth pattern, moving forward in my faith. And so reality and truth is that part of what is my reality and what is the truth? So evaluating what is it that I'm really living in right now? Because I knew the emotional toxins that were going on in my life, and I really needed to figure out how they made me feel. Where did they come from? Sometimes we know, sometimes we don't. And I always want to tell people during this portion of the book, if there is something deeper than just, you know, something we can handle. I always want to tell people to make sure they get counseling to work through those things. But in the reality versus truth, that's when I just go into what is it that I'm feeling, where am I in these thoughts, and what is God's truth about me related to those? So there's a, an evaluation of the feeling moving into that terminating those toxins.
1: Billy Jous is our guest. She's in Naples, Florida. The book Distraction Detox. Uh, Billy, take off the grave clothes. Yeah, that's topic number it, four.
2: That's a that's a chapter that to, I the I like I'm very visual too. I like to give a visual, and in this chapter, we talk about how Jesus took off the grave clothes when he went from death to life of resurrection, and he was he was in spirit. And so what I do in this chapter is really help people realize what those toxins are and begin to take off those grave clothes and leave those toxins behind. How do we move forward in this in digging deeper into God's truth, into realizing what His Word says, and replacing those toxins with God's Word?
1: Now, uh, Billy, vertically challenged... What does that mean? Yeah.
2: (laughs) When we're vertically challenged, usually people are like, oh, if you're vertically challenged, you're a little shorter than most people. Not a problem in my family. We're all tall people. However, we're vertically challenged at times in our spiritual faith. When we're vertically challenged, it means that we're not looking up to Jesus as much as we need to. And we need to realize that what we're seeing around us, the things that are on the human, worldly level— are in no comparison to what we see when our eyes are fixed on Jesus and where it is he desires for us to be. So in that vertically challenge, it's just another step moving past those emotional toxins and, and replacing it with God's truth and how to keep our eyes fixed on him.
1: Billy, you then do a chapter called Feeling the Feels. Uh, you're going yeah. to have to explain that.
2: You know, when you go through a process, we have to pause and feel the feelings that we're having during it. So I dig deeper into that evaluation of those feelings. Like, you've got to feel the feeling before you can release it. Now, sometimes the things that we're thinking don't have a negative feeling to them. Sometimes they make us feel pretty good. And that's not always a good thing, because if we're judging other people or we're comparing ourselves to other people and we think we're better than them or we're 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 farther along in our faith than them, sometimes that's a misevaluation of what we're thinking. We have to get in there and think about does that good feeling have a positive outcome in the kingdom? Does that negative feeling take me spiraling down to where God never intended me to be? So we need to feel those feelings so that we can understand and evaluate where it is that God has us and where it is that we we shouldn't be, That we're the place we've taken ourselves.
1: Explain to us, Billy, the removal process.
2: That's when we dig deep into removing those emotional toxins. What is it that God wants to show us that is really the opposite of what we think about ourselves or um, determine about ourselves? You know, through this process, I came upon this uh, this um, this thought that I was a bad mother. You know, it just I think sometimes, oh gosh, i just I was such a bad mother. I have adult children now, but. Over the years, I've been like, oh, I am such a bad mother. I did this. I did that. And when I sat down in that removal process and I went through the evaluation of what that feeling was about being a bad mom, it really took me back to one experience that I had when my son came to me with a, a social issue that one of his friends was having, and I reacted in fear, and I just screamed at him. And it was an awful moment as a mother. However... When I started looking at the removal process of this, went through those the beginning of what I was talking about with feeling the feels and keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus and taking off those grave clothes, I realized that in that moment, I asked for my son's forgiveness, he asked for me to forgive him over some things he said. We came to a point that we had moved past that and continued to grow and as a mother son relationship, my son. Is 32 years old and called me almost every day. He's an area scout with the San Francisco Giants, and so he drives a lot. So he calls me now. So in that removal process of taking that emotional toxin and going through the process of all that I was doing and actually digging into what God said to me uh, about me as a mother, as a woman, as as a woman of Christ, I could take that and learn to remove those negative thoughts that I was having and move forward.
1: Now, Billy, know the voice, topic number eight.
2: Mm. That's when we sit where we are and pause, learning God's word, digging into God's word, but also taking time to listen for his small whispers. What is it that God is saying to us? Because we know in His Word, we have tangible evidence of what He says to us. He loves us. He wants us to be kingdom seekers and 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 people and Fisher Fisher of men. And He wants us to do these things. But what is it that God tells us? You know, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. You know, He has plans for us. We read in the Bible the Word, which is removal process. We we replace that toxin with the Word. But then we need to sit and listen to what it is God is saying to us in our spirit. And that's when we clean out the voice of our own words and we put God's Word into ourselves by reading and studying His Word, then we're able to hear Him say, what direction he desires us to be in. You know, when doors are open or doors are closed, rather than forging through on our own or sitting back in fear, we listen to where it is that God is guiding us in our spirit. Is that a place that he desires us to go one step at a time?
1: Now, we've got to take a break, Billy. And then okay. when when we come back, uh, the next topic for you is going to be called Confidence. Uh, But we got to take a pause here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Reminder, you're listening to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. I'm your host, Pat Williams. And uh, let me just say this before the break. Uh, We're working hard trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando.
2: Oh, yeah, that would be beautiful.
1: (laughs) Orlando is ready. It's become a major market. Baseball is going to expand at some point by two more teams. And we think Orlando is the spot. So go up to the website, OrlandoDreamers.com. OrlandoDreamers.com. We need to hear from you. Um, More with Billy Jouse right after these messages.
0: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM
1: 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Billy Joust in Naples, Florida, talking about her book, Distraction Detox. And, Billy, uh, as we mentioned, called confidence means what?
2: Called confidence. So, you know, I've always been a very strong, confident, assertive kind of person in my life. But the thing that I found when I was going through this process is that I wasn't confident in the calling that, that God had put on my life and what that was, a clear description. I like things laid out. I like A plus B equals C, and that's not always that way. Sometimes he goes to B and G before he gets back to A and then to X and then back to B. And I just wasn't confident in that God had called me in my writing, in my speaking, in my life as an empty-nest mom at that point. What was I to do? And that's when, in this process, I dug into God's Word, listening to Him, and became more confident in where it was God was calling me to be. So in this chapter, I walk through those stories of what that process looked like in getting to that place of a confidence in the calling of God and walk the readers through how to get to that point.
1: Now explain to us one day at a time.
2: Well, we can't do it all today, can we? We can't, we can't look out too far ahead of us and plan everything, which I do like a good plan. But we take it one day at a time. What is it that we can do today for the kingdom of God? What is it that God's asking us to do today? Maybe it's pause for the day and listen for His Word, read His Word, dig into His Word. But tomorrow... That one day may be a day that he's calling you to take a step of faith, to get out, to to spread his word, to learn something new. Whatever that challenge is that he's putting in front of us, we can only do it one day at a time. Uh,
1: Billy, what about change your story, change history?
2: You know, when we feel that we aren't good enough or we have fear or unbelief, Or we're carrying shame and guilt. Once we take hold of those thoughts, replace them with God's truth, understand who we are in the eyes of God, understand who God is as we have learned through this process, then we change our story. We don't have to live the story we've always been living just because that's what we've been doing. We can change our story by taking a hold of those negative thoughts, replacing them with truth and moving forward to where it is God is calling us. And that way I talked in the chapter about when we hold on to things that maybe our family had held on to or that, you know, any shame or guilt that we've pulled with us through the years, once we release that we are changing the history for our children, for our friends, for our future as we change our story.
1: Billy, I want you to talk about leave fingerprints. What's that mean?
2: You know I hate to equate it to a crime scene or something like that, but you have fingerprints everywhere, right? You have to, on a mirror. you may have fingerprints on a mirror, on a window. What I did in this chapter is really encourage and challenge people to leave the fingerprints of Christ everywhere you go. What is in His fingerprint that you're leaving when you step out of a situation? Are you leaving negative thoughts in other people? Are you leaving behind a a kingdom-building mentality? Are you leaving behind things that will show Christ? You know, I tell people all the time, I pray no one remembers me when I'm gone. I pray they remember Christ in me. That's what I want them to, to remember. So leaving fingerprints is creating that, that, that story, creating the story of Christ throughout your life.
1: I dare you.
2: <laughs> Topic 13. I, I'm a challenger and a mom, of, a mom of three boys. So what I want this chapter to be, was to challenge each and every one of the readers to continue on determining these toxins, evaluating the toxins, terminating them, and then begin to outline a plan day by day. What is it that I'm going to do today? Waking up in the morning and asking the Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? How am I going to step out in faith today? And when I say make a plan, and I said earlier, you can only do it one day at a time. But you have a schedule, you have things that are in your schedule, on your schedule, and you can make a plan that during that time, if you're volunteering at a charity, if you're working at, at your job, what is it that you can plan throughout your time in those places that will help leave a fingerprint of God? Leaving those taxes behind, opening it up so that you can step out in faith.
1: Now, um, significant start is topic yeah, f- topic 14. Yes.
2: That When a significant start, we always think that nothing we can do is that significant. We tend to compare ourselves to other people. Well, he's got a larger following. She's got a larger, larger audience. Her books are better than mine. She's a better mom than me. And when we get rid of those things, we realize, that God's best in our lives is different than other people. And our significant start is in that first step. You know, don't despise the small beginnings. The Lord tells us in Zechariah, don't despise the small beginnings, because he rejoices in the small things that we do. So taking those significant, small steps to start walking out where God is calling us.
1: Now, there's a chapter... Is simply called in play, Billy. What's that mean?
2: <laughs> when we put it in play. So being a wife of, a, of, of a, a professional baseball guy, and now all three of our boys work in baseball, which is crazy. My life is consumed by sports and, and all the things about it. So when you put it all in play, there has to be action. And that's where I want to tra- challenge people of realizing God's best in your life. God's best in your life is different sure. than others. Now that we've gotten rid of those toxins, we can actually execute a plan of how we're going to step out in that faith, realizing God's best, and what are we going to do to challenge ourselves to continue to replace negative thoughts with God's Word and to live out what it is that God has called us to do.
1: Billy, what do you want listeners, people who have read your book, what do you want them to take from all this?
2: I really love when people get back to me after reading the book and their, their, their thoughts are changed. They once lived in a place where their negative thinking took them down into a spiral that they were never intended to be that deep in their own mind. And they've overcome that by, by reading God's Word, by terminating those toxins, and it's not a one-and-all book. You're not going to read it and all your negative thoughts go away. But what it does is it gives you a plan that when that negative thought comes up, you're able to squash it and leave it behind because you have God's Word at the ready to replace it with.
1: Uh, Billy, what's been the reaction from readers of your book? and wh- And why— Why would they uh, go to the store, pick this one up? Are they hurting that badly?
2: I believe so many of us have negative thoughts that we never realize until we take time to evaluate them. And so that's the thing that readers, when they get in touch with me, I had a a group of women in New York that did the book as a study, and they said that during that study, they had been doing many studies together. I think they'd been meeting for like seven or eight years and when they did this book, the thing that they got out of it was really to hold each other accountable to, to terminate those toxins and move forward. It was such a vulnerable time for them. They opened up more with each other. They, they loved on each other more. They held each other accountable in a loving, godly way. They helped each other realize when they said something that was negative about themselves or degraded themselves in a ha-ha funny way that they were able to look at each other and go, that's not what God sees in you. And through this book and, and being able to execute their own plan, they were also able to help the other women in, within their group. And that, to me, is just pointing each other back to Jesus And when we do have those negative thoughts.
3: Belly,
1: when did you really uh, commit your life to the Lord, and what happened? Do you remember?
2: Well, there were two distinct um, times One, I was in high school, 16 years old. I, we, My mom and my family went to a, a different, more traditional church, and um, I was invited to youth group with a friend of mine at a more Pentecostal church, and I just loved it. And One night, one Sunday night, I, I felt like somebody was pushing me, pushing me, and I kept looking behind me, and there's nobody there. But when the call came to come to the altar and give your life to the Lord, I walked <laughs> up, that, up that aisle. And I said, Jesus, I want you. I want more of you. Unfortunately, I didn't stick with it. I didn't have great mentorship. I didn't, I I was, I I had a lot of negative words spoken to me about that. I, I just, it wasn't a place where I hung on to my fate publicly, but privately I did. I just, I always loved Jesus. I continue to love Jesus but I was never told, I was never discipled, read the Bible, you know, stand in his word. I was never told those things. So walked away. Um, David and I got married 10 years into our marriage. Our marriage was going in a terrible direction. He was chasing his career. I was chasing three boys around. We were growing apart. And I knew in that moment that I needed to do something. And I went for counseling and my counselor who wasn't actually an atheist asked me, When is the one time in your life where you felt peace? And I told her, it was when I was walking to that altar at 16 years old and gave my life to Jesus. And this atheist counselor looked at me and said,
0: Mm. you
2: need to go back to church. And so my journey began of figuring out what that looked like for me. Ended up going to a great church. We were living in Boston at the time. David was with the Red Sox ended up going to a church where I was just poured into and loved on by some amazing women, the pastor of the church, the families in the church. And in turn, my life turned around, and David saw the change in me and was like, I don't know what's going on with you, but something's changed, and I want to know what it is. Mm. And I told him that we had gone to church, and he said, you know, after the baseball season, because during the baseball season, they can't go to church every Sunday. He said, "After the baseball season, I want to go to that church with you, and I want to see what it's all about." And our marriage was was being healed even before that. But then, in turn, well, you know, both of us giving our lives to Christ, realizing that this is, you know, this is where we want to be—is in the arms of Jesus first, and then together. That our marriage now—we're celebrating 35 years of marriage this year. So we're thankful to the Good Lord that He stepped in in a mighty way with some very strong, Jesus-loving people and help guide and lead us.
1: Uh, My guest has been Billy Jowes, author of Distraction Detox. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment.
0: AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power
1: Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Billy Jous, our guest in that first segment. I want to introduce you to David Claussen. Uh, he's in Washington, D.C., uh, FRC's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. And David, uh, along with two others, Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, have put together quite a, quite a work. It's called Male and Female. He created them, a study on genu- gender, sexuality, and marriage. David, uh, welcome back to Orlando, Florida. How are you doing?
3: Well, thank you. I'm doing well. It's a joy to be on the show, Pat. Thank you so much for having me.
1: David, how did this, uh, this book come about? I, I get the feeling it's an important work.
3: Yeah, so I work here at Family Research Council, which is a Christian public policy organization in our nation's capital. Uh, Denny and Colin are based in Louisville, Kentucky. They lead the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and really all three of us travel quite a bit and talk in churches and talk with Christian parents and Christian counselors. And the number one thing we've heard, Pat, uh, from pastors, parents, and counselors is the, the, the questions that they are now getting in their church context are questions related to gender and sexuality and marriage. Maybe a generation ago, a lot of Christians were saying, well, is Jesus really the only way to salvation? Or, or you know, more theological questions. But increasingly, what we're hearing is pastors saying we, we're encountering uh, in our ministry context situations related to all of these issues related to sexuality and gender. And we just wanted to come alongside these folks with a, a resource, not, not a book that, you know, an individual would read from cover to cover, which you can, an individual can read this book, but it's actually meant to be used in kind of a small group context or for family devotionals or for a church to go through. Uh, it has questions, it has accompanying videos, um, and again, just trying to faithfully come alongside folks who are asking these questions and dealing with them in their ministry context.
1: You open your book by And it goes by weeks. There are eight weeks. So let's start with uh, uh, week one, conversation guide. Uh, what's happening in week one?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So week one, week one in the book, we're just trying to set the context. Um, and so uh, week one, I think it's titled the Creations of Warrens. And so we open the book with the story of Jesus uh, talking to the Pharisees. And you remember the religious leaders that come to Jesus, and they specifically ask him a question related to divorce. And uh, Jesus, you know, is interesting when you look at the ministry of Jesus. He's often asked questions, and he doesn't actually answer the question that's posed. But he gets it uh, really at a deeper level of what's behind the question. And so Jesus responds to this specific question about divorce by actually going to Genesis 1 and 2 and uh, really getting at something much deeper, uh, explaining that from the beginning— God's design and his plan uh, for marriage uh, was between uh, a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman, that's something that's beautiful. And then we we point uh, to Ephesians 5 and how that uh, Paul ultimately tells us that is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. So we're just in the chapter 1, Pat, just trying to set the context for how to think about these things through the lens of Scripture.
1: Now, in week 2, it's called... Creations' warrant. What does that mean?
3: Yeah, so with Creations' uh, warrant is actually that's the t- that's chapter one. Um, yes, chapter two is Creations' order, and so what we do in chapter two is again we're just trying to set the stage uh, by doing a, a kind of again. If it's chapter one we talked about Matthew nineteen, in chapter two setting the foundation for Genesis one and two. I think it's interesting that a lot of people, maybe who aren't as familiar with the Bible, or well, what does the Bible actually say about some of these really contested issues in our culture? And what we thought it was important to do in chapter 2 was to show people that whenever Jesus, and then after him, Paul, you know, the two most significant figures in the New Testament, whenever they were asked about anything related to kind of what we would now call Christian sexual ethics, they went back to Genesis 1 and 2. So our argument is that to really have a Christian understanding of God's view of marriage and sexuality, we really need to know Genesis one and two. So that's what we're trying to do in the in that second chapter titled Creation's Order.
1: Now do we move then to sins disorder? I guess that's uh, that would be the next discussion topic. Am I right on that?
3: Yes, you're right. So week three, um, we titled it uh, Sin's Disorder, and kind of the subtitle is Exchanging the Truth of God for a Lie. There's a lot of things we could talk about, Pat, and I'm sure on your show you've talked about this probably in previous episodes about, you know, you just it doesn't take a genius to turn on the cable news, whether it's Fox News or CNN, to realize the world is broken. Uh, We live in a Genesis 3 fallen world, and that affects sexuality as well. And so there's a lot of ways we could talk about how sexuality is broken, but one kind of deviation from God's plan actually is the issue of homosexuality, and and today there's a lot of Christians who are asking the question, well, does the Bible really have a position on this issue? It's a very sensitive issue in our culture, and so we just walk through the passages in chapter 3, whether it's Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Romans 1, Uh, And we make the argument that the the church's traditional understanding on homosexuality uh, is faithful to the biblical text. And so, again, we just want to carefully walk people through that. Don't take our word for it. Take God's word for it.
1: And what does God's word say?
3: God's word is really clear that uh, when it comes to sexuality, it's ordered between a man and a woman uh, in the context of marriage. And when you look at something like homosexuality, um, again, this is really hard for a lot of people to hear and to wrestle with, but the, the Bible makes clear that homosexuality is not uh, something that fits in with kind of the way God has planned. It, it, it is a departure from God's original design, His original purposes, and again, the Bible makes that really, really clear in places like Romans 1 or First 1 Timothy 1.10, uh, that a unrepentant homosexual lifestyle is out of step uh, with God's original purposes uh, for sexuality. Now, let's
1: move to uh, temptation, desire, and orientation. You do a whole week on that.
3: We do, yeah, Um, because again, we're really trying to help Christians go a little deep. I think some people told us the book is a little academic, but we did try to write it for a really broad audience, but we, we, we look at the issue of sexual desire, uh, sexual temptation. Uh, how do we think about uh, what it talks about in the book of James about uh, temptation and how Jesus's experience of temptation was similar to ours, yet different than ours? We, we look at the whole issue of sexual orientation. Uh, you know, that's a whole issue that's come up in the last 20 years. And so, again, we're, we're just trying to help A lot of, you know, Pat, a lot of the conversations that are happening right now, whether it's sexual orientation, gender identity, you know, previous generations have never even had to think about those terms before, because they're relatively new. And so we just try to, again, in this book, asking questions, um, trying to provide a context for how do we think about, um, as Christians, what God's perspective is on these things. And at the end of the day, we come to the a conclusion that you know, sexual desire is a good thing, but in a fallen world, our desires can become disordered. We can have objects of our desire that are improper, and when that happens, we need to say no to those improper desires and say yes to the things that God has revealed through His Word uh, that are actually designed for human flourishing and thriving.
1: Now, I want you to uh, explain uh, week six transgenderism. Explain that to us.
3: Yeah, uh, the transgenderism, uh, again, this is in the news. Even the other day, the president of the United States was making comments on this. So this is chapter five in our book. And again, in one sense, it just seems like for many people, especially, you know, my parents' generation, like, you know, this word just seems to have kind of almost emerged out of a vacuum. But what we argue, uh, Pat, is that the transgender claim – again, what is transgender claim? Trans- transgender advocates argue that you know, we have our biological sex, but then there's something else called our gender identity. And our gender identity, they would argue, is how you feel about your gender, um, you know, your, your emotional perspective, your feelings, and that your gender identity can be something other than uh, your biology, uh, your anatomy. Uh, that that's what transgenderism is. And what we argue is actually this is just a reincarnation, so to speak, of ancient Gnosticism that actually Paul dealt with in the first century. Gnostices, Gnostics in the first century argued that the body was inherently bad, the body could tell us any true things about ourselves, and that if our mind tells us one thing that maybe contradicts with our body, well, we go with the mind. That's what transgender advocates argue, Pat, is that they say that our gender identity, what we think about ourselves, our self-perception, that carries more weight than our body. And what we argue about that is that, no, that you can't bifurcate so-called gender identity and biological sex. That Those are one and the same, that distinction between male and female is a biological distinction, it's a social distinction, and that uh, Scripture speaks clearly to these things. Genesis 1, 26 or 27, God couldn't be more clear about that.
1: Why is it so hard uh particularly for young people, do you think, to uh, really uh, grasp what you're talking about?
3: I think there's a couple of things. I don't know, we don't have all day to talk about this, but a, a couple of things I would say, obviously the sexual revolution in the 60s, really untethered sex from any kind of monogamous marriage context. I think the rise of postmodernism, now again, the average young person is not walking around thinking about postmodernism, but that has so infected our culture this idea that truth is relative—you can have your truth, I can have my truth—and we better not tell each other that you're wrong because of the truth you have. Well, at the end of the day, you know, truth is truth. There is no such thing as your truth or my truth. Truth is just objective; it's absolute. And I think people—I'm a millennial, i know the next generation, Gen Z. I think we've grown up in a world of moral relativism—that there are no absolute right, there is no absolute wrong—and so then. Well, if my mind tells me I'm a different gender than my body actually is, well, who's to tell me that I'm wrong? And that's why I think today you find, you know, almost 20% of Gen Z now identifies as somewhat LGBT, somewhere on that spectrum. And so I think we're awash in moral relativism, postmodernism is on the rise. And the final thing I would add to that is that the Christian worldview um, is no longer the dominant worldview that guides our culture. Uh, George Barna came out the a poll just a couple of years ago that said only 6% of Americans have what you would ha- call a holistic worldview. So as Christian truth increasingly gets pushed to the sidelines, well, Christian views on all things, but especially sexual ethics, are not just going to be seen as outdated. Eventually, they're going to see- be seen as subversive.
1: David Clausen is our guest. Uh, he and two others have put together this uh, workbook, I think that's the best word, uh, Male and female. Uh, He created them. We have more with David Klaassen, who's in Washington, D.C., right after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour
0: in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power
1: Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Uh, David Klaassen is uh, in Washington. We're talking about the book that he and his partners put together, Male and Female. He created them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. Uh, David, uh, next topic. Um, it, it's, you call it intersex. Uh, explain that.
3: Yeah, so the term intersex really doesn't refer to a single disorder. It's really kind of an umbrella term that refers to all the different ways that a person's physical sexual development can go off course. And so, kind of what happens, and it's very rare, but it does happen. But intersex conditions result in a person's genital anatomy uh, being kind of ambiguous and not clearly revealing what that person, what, whether that person is male or female. And often in conversations like the one we're having, the existence of intersex conditions is used by some as a defeater for the idea that there's only two genders, male and female. And they'll say, well, what about the people that have intersex conditions? That clearly must be some third category. And so we we think it's – I know it's a very kind of niche topic, but we think it's important enough to talk about it. And we argue actually based on Matthew 19 – that Jesus actually had some of these people in mind. Uh, Matthew 19 talks about uh, eunuchs, and Jesus Jesus talks about people who have been so from birth. And we argue potentially in mind is people whose anatomy has somehow been disordered and disfigured. And and so again, it's a a real small group of people that have this condition of uh, disorders of sexual development, But we need to know about these people. We need to know that this issue exists. And as Christians, we need to respond in love. We need to respond in truth. And I think, again, what my co-authors and I thought it was significant to give a whole chapter to this is because just Jesus was aware that disorders can happen uh, in sexual development. But Jesus himself still affirmed what we would call the male-female binary. And so we don't think this is a defeater for the idea that God made men— and that he made women. And so we try to spend some time in the book helping people wrap their mind around that a little bit.
1: Now I want you to explain identity and sanctification.
3: Yeah, so we spent a whole chapter on this, because again, Pat, even the stuff we're talking about right now, whether it's intersex or transgenders or homosexuality, these are hard things to talk about, and increasingly these are hard things for even the church to talk about and when it comes to identity, this is such an important thing. Like, you know, I'm from Orlando, so that's part of my identity. I'm from Orlando. You know, I'm a graduate of the University of Central Florida, so you can say I am a UCF Knight. And, and so people, you know, there's – we talk about, you know, I'm a father, I'm a husband. Like, the, the question of identity, who we are, the core of who we are, that, that's such an important question. And often in these conversations, you'll hear the people say, well, I am gay or I am a lesbian. You know, their identity kind of central to who they are is whether they identify as someone who's attracted to someone of the same sex. And what we argue in the book is that for a Christian, Pat, our most fundamental identity is a Christian. Um, Now, that doesn't say that those who follow Jesus don't have uh, feelings or desires uh, that maybe conflict with that Christian identity. But at the end of the day, what's most important about us is that we are Christians. We follow Jesus Christ. And what that means is that any other kind of identities we have, we need to uh, put those in a second place. Uh, those need to take a back seat, so to speak, to our identity as Christian. And so in, that, in the seventh chapter of our book, uh, we simply talk about what does it mean to be a Christian who maybe has other competing identities, and what does it mean to be a Christian first and foremost? And whether it's in the issue of sexual ethics or somewhere else, we say that you need to be a Christian first and foremost, and we try to provide some guidance on maybe what that looks like.
1: Now I want you to explain, David, sexual sin in the gospel. That's your eighth week.
3: Absolutely, Pat. Because, we, again, these topics are hard. They can be confusing for many people. Uh, these aren't just abstract issues for many people. I think most people now, they know someone who is dealing with these things, or maybe they've dealt with them themselves. And so our fundamental argument in this final chapter, Pat, is that all people need to hear the Bible's speech on sexual ethics. All people need to know that the Bible does condemn homosexuality. People need to know that. But way more important than that, Pat, all people need to know the message of the gospel that's fundamental and the message of the gospel is simply that sinful people can be reconciled to a holy God by trusting in Jesus Christ by repenting of one sin and turning in faith to Jesus Christ you can be saved and so what we say is you need to know the Bible's teaching on sexual ethics but that's not all that you need to know you need to know the full weight of the gospel And so, again, that's what we try to do in the final chapter. We want to end on a really positive note, uh, pointing people to the one that can ultimately save them from all sins, including sins related to living in a sexually broken world.
1: David, what do you want people to take from this discussion?
3: I think I want, especially Christians, number one, I want them to be encouraged. The Bible actually has answers. I think so many Christians... Uh, think about these issues and think, oh, they're so overwhelming. Our culture is awash in all these different lifestyles and behaviors and the temptations to retreat and kind of bury our head in the sand. We, I just want Christians to, to read this book, to go through it, and to realize, oh, wow, the Bible has answers, compelling, persuasive answers to all the questions that our culture is asking. And then just for the broader public, those who might not say that I'm a Christian or go to church or anything like that, I would just want you to know, here's what we as Christians believe. Often Christians are caricatured as, you know, insensitive, as bigoted, and I, I think the goal for anyone who would read this book as a non-Christian, which I'd be so excited if a non-Christian would read it, is just to have an open uh, mind and just to understand where we as Christians, drawing from the, uh, the, the well of our faith, drawing from the Bible, here's what we believe and here's why we believe it. And I hope that we come across as uh, objective and just winsome as we explain these issues that, again, I know everyone is talking about.
1: My guest has been – is – he's still with us – David Clausen. I'm I'm interested in your two uh, writing partners, Denny Burke and Colin Smothers. Tell, Tell me more.
3: Yeah, so Denny Burke is the president of an organization called the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, Um, and uh, Colin is the executive director of that organization. It's been around for a couple of decades. It was founded by theologians Wayne Grudem and John Piper, and it's a a small outfit uh, based in Louisville, Kentucky, Uh, but what they do is provide resources for churches to think about um, issues related to biblical manhood and womanhood. What does it actually mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Uh, what do gender roles look like in the church and in the home? And so that's the primary thrust of their organization. And obviously, again, because issues related to sexuality are in the news so much, uh, intersect so much with what it means to be a man and a woman, uh, that's one of the reasons they, the two of them wanted to partner with me at FRC, which is more of a public policy organization, to kind of put our minds together and provide a resource primarily for the church uh, to think about these issues.
1: David, um, tell me about our nation's capital these days. As you live there, uh, what's going on in Washington, the city? What do you see?
3: (laughs) There's a lot going on in D.C., Pat. Um, You know, we have a new Congress that's in session uh, after the previous, uh, you know, the midterm elections in the fall. So we have a a House that's controlled by the Republicans. The Democrats have a near majority in the Senate. We still have obviously Joe Biden in the White House. And so there's a lot of gridlock. Uh, There's a lot of uh, bickering. There's a lot of frustration because, you know, when you have a divided government, it's hard to get things through. Um, Thankfully, there's still some things that Congress is able to work on and agree on. Uh, But there is a lot of gridlock. But Again, a lot of people refer to D.C. as the swamp and say it's a discouraging place. Pat, i got to be honest with you. I'm encouraged. I love living in D.C. I've lived here for now four years since I graduated from seminary. There are a lot of people uh, that do care uh, about the American people that do want to make things better Uh, for Christians. There's a lot of Christians. I go to a a church that meets right behind the Supreme Court that has 700 people at a Southern Baptist church. Uh, That's really encouraging and so you know on both sides of the aisle path, there are people that care there are people who are trying to do a good job you know sometimes what you see on the headlines um, about everyone hating each other and it being a difficult place not all of that is true
1: oh, what uh are you sensing uh, uh with the next election does does biden run again can anybody beat trump what about what, what about our governor DeSantis? What what uh, what's your sense?
3: Yeah, my, my sense is that the president is going to run for re-election again. There's been no reason to think he won't, and again, he'll be the oldest uh, person to ever run for office <coughs> his aid for a second term. Um, I think you know there's a lot of things going on right now, whether it's foreign policy, whether it's domestics with gas prices, the price of uh, home goods. Uh, you know, whether we're going to go into the recession or not. So I think when you see the president's low approval ratings, I think that's going to be a challenge for him. Um, I don't think that means it's a slam dunk for the Republicans by any means. It'll largely depend on who our nominee is as Republicans. Um, I I do think that President Trump is probably the favorite right now uh, for the Republican nomination. I think he does bring a lot of baggage Into a general election, Um, as someone originally from Florida who has followed Ron DeSantis, I think he would be a very strong uh, contender for the. I I really do think, um, Pat, I think Ron DeSantis would be the strongest non Trump Republican. Now, potentially, what could happen is if a bunch of folks run, say you have seven or eight Republicans running for the nomination, I think that helps Trump uh, because the more other Republicans um, are in the field, I think he could win with a plurality of you know, 25 know 30% in different states. And then you'd have Biden-Trump you know round two, and I think that would be very competitive. And so, again, as a Christian, I'm called to pray for the government. I'm called to submit to the government, and I will be – as I do every day, I pray for the president. And uh, as the election begins to heat up – and it's going to start heating up very soon uh, – it'll be something for all of us to pay attention to.
1: My guest has been David Klaassen. Uh, FRC's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. Uh, He and two of his cohorts have put together the book, Male and Female. He created them. Uh, We're back next weekend for more. Have a wonderful week ahead. And uh, the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour will return next weekend. Stay tuned to AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead. God bless you richly. Thank you for joining us for this
0: week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word.